Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. In the merit of this class, may Hashem watch over all the Jewish people and give enormous strength to the IDF soldiers, including Ben Benirit, Ben Ben Zahava, Ben Ben Sion Ben Mazal, and Ben Yahu Ben Ethel. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitzins YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. Today, I am so happy to welcome Rifki Silver to our podcast. Rifki is co-host of the popular Deep Meaningful Conversations podcast. She is a regular contributor to Family First magazine, and her writing can also be found on many popular Jewish websites. An engaging public speaker, she has spoken for high schools, seminaries, and also for Project Inspire. She holds a degree in music performance, which I personally think is really cool, and she has performed internationally with orchestras, chamber ensembles, and bands. Rifki enjoys playing piano for events at most of the day schools in Cleveland, Ohio, where she lives with her husband and her children. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Thank you so much. It's, it's such a pleasure to be here. You have an amazing podcast, and you've interviewed so many amazing and I'm humbled to have a chance to be on here as well. Um, and it's just really such a treat. Thank you. Um, about myself, I, I think of myself as um, basically like, you know, a another Jewish mommy who's run, doing a lot of carpools and trying to get dinner on the table that, that my kids will actually eat, you know, like so many of us. Yes. Um, and then in, in the time that I'm not busy with that, then I, Baruch Hashem, have a chance to work at at jobs that are tremendously fulfilling and inspiring where I get to like meet so many interesting people and like so many different um, people from all over through working at um, Family First and also um, through the DMC podcast that I co-host with Alex Fletcher. And those are both very, very fulfilling. And I feel very grateful that um, I have a chance to do work that is very inspiring because that's not so common, you know? Yes. Um, and then, yeah, I play, I play a lot of music in town. Well, not so much, but I play, um, not so much these days. I'm much more busy with the writing and the podcast, but I, I really enjoy playing for Sir plays and Chumash plays with the, these little kinderlach. And it's also very inspiring in its own way to like watch this next generation get a Siddur or get a Chumash and like they're the next chain in the Masora. I get like, I, I joke to the teachers. I was like, I get so emotional. I don't even have kids, like, I don't even have kids in this like performance. And like, I'm getting emotional because it really is very beautiful and it keeps me on my toes musically because even though the music is not very complicated it's not like you know Schumann or Tchaikovsky or anything but like small children are very unpredictable so you have to be very flexible when you're playing because you really don't know like what they're going to do next so like you just have to be on your toes so I, I appreciate that this is so very true with little kids you really never know what what they're going to do and you have to go with the flow so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so true <laughs> Um, so I know this is we're gonna have such an interesting podcast. I'm so excited because I know that you are an observant Orthodox Jewish woman, but you didn't grow up that way. You actually converted to Judaism after college. So I also right. have a friend who converted, and I really have so much respect for her and for you because you actually chose to be Jewish and to live your life following the teachings of the Torah. And I think that choice is so beautiful. And I can only imagine that your transition to becoming Jewish and to living a Jewish lifestyle must have been an incredible journey. So I was wondering if you can please share your story with us. What was like, like, like for you growing up? You know, how did you become interested in Judaism and what made you decide to actually finally convert to Judaism? Sure, sure. Thank you. You know, it's interesting now that I have the benefit of some um, distance. And I, I can look at it kind of in the rearview mirror now since I've been from for such a long time, you know, almost 20 years. So now I have like that uh, the perspective. perspective. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I grew up a very like regular Protestant, um, Midwestern American. Like I had a very like, I like to say like apple pie childhood. We live in a nice suburb. 
and went to a very good public school and I did lots of extracurricular programming with music and drama and art and my brother played like you know all-american baseball and he was on like a competitive league when he was little like we had a very like American childhood um we were like fairly religious we went to church every week and um I was involved in like my my church's youth group when I got to high school and I did volunteer work at home for children with developmental disabilities and um you know, I was involved in like the programming for like singing and like kind of like worship stuff. So it was like, I was pretty involved, but I was also like very regular. And I went to homecoming and I went to prom and I had like an after school job at like the grocery store and later the mall. So it was like totally standard regular. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, oh, which wow. is not a place that, yeah, exactly. It's like, um, now I don't, I don't usually leave with that when people, when I'm meeting people for the first time, cause it's such like, a, cause that's exactly the reaction. Like Des Moines, Iowa. Hmm. But you know, it's so, you know? so, it was so funny. We were just in the Moines, yeah. Iowa, my family and I, this past summer. Stop it's, it. Really? It's, yes. Because we're doing a tour of the 50 States, not all at once, but just a bunch at a time. And our stop in Iowa was Des Moines. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, whenever I'm doing my talk, I, I often ask it, has anyone ever been to Des Moines, Iowa? And usually there's like maybe, maybe exactly maybe one hand. So this is so delightful. I'm so happy you got to be there. It's a great town. It's beautiful. And it's a great place to grow up if you're like, you know, a random Protestant. American, <laughs> smaller Jewishly, but um, but I had a very like fantastic childhood. My parents are great. You know, my younger brother is great. He's he was annoying growing up, but you know he's a he's a good guy. <laughs> and um, everything was I just I was a good kid. I worked hard. I I stayed out of trouble. I had nice friends. Like I, life was just like it went just exactly the way it was supposed to go. You know. So of course when I graduated from high school, I went to college because that's the way life was supposed to go. That's what you do next. You go to college. You have the college experience and. My parents um, let me major in music, which was actually incredible. Now that I, now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so impractical. <laughs> but um, I got a I got a scholarship to study music. I had played I had been playing clarinet since I was I think ten. I've been playing piano since I was eight. And Baruch Hashem, I have an aptitude for it, and I was good at it, and I enjoyed it. So you know, this is my plan. I was gonna go on and do something professionally, like in in the music world. Um, you know, maybe like teach at a college, also hopefully play in some chamber ensembles or an orchestra on the side. You know, musicians have to cobble together many different jobs in order to make a living. So I was just kind of like on that track. Um, but in college, things got a little bit like interesting because like all of the nice like conservative values that I had been raised with and the nice like lifestyle that I had been living with, like when I got to college, like all the messaging that I got was like basically the exact opposite. It was like, go party, go have fun, go have all these crazy experiences. All these things that like literally like a month before I would have gotten grounded if I had done. And now it was like, no, this is the time. And like, this was like the culture. And my parents sent me to college and they knew this was the culture. And I was like the kind of kid, I just did what I was supposed to do. But now everything I was supposed to do was like the exact opposite of what I had been supposed to do. And I was like, well, that's interesting, you know? And then also there was like a real like implicit kind of vibe and I went to like a small school in Missouri it was like not like a huge party school or a huge like bastion of progressivism or anything it was just like a nice liberal arts school in, in Missouri but the messaging I got was really like if you're if you buy into organized religion you must not be very intelligent like smart people aren't wow. really religious it was just kind of like implied in some of the classes and some of the programming you know and I had looking back I had professors who were religious who went to church but they were very quiet about it. And the people who were louder were, you know, and like the the people who I was hanging out with, like no one was really into it. So I just kind of, and I, I myself had started to have questions about things when I was in like later high school, you know, as kids do when they start to explore and they start to think critically about like the systems in which they were raised. I was like, you know, individuating. And so I just kind of like drifted off into this, like I just 
kind of drifted off into this college experience. And I was very academically successful and I did very well, you know, musically and I graduated with honors. But by the time I got to graduation, I was kind of just like a lost soul. Do you know what I mean? I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. I, was, I studied in Europe for a semester and I was part of a band and I had all these cool arty, artsy friends. And, you know, like, you know, I sometimes like look back and like my, my life was kind of like a movie, you know, like I had all these really cool experiences, but we were all like miserable and confused, but we were all miserable and confused. So I was like, well, maybe this is just what it's like to be 20, you know? <laughs> so my plan was to go to graduate school and, you know, get a higher, higher degrees in music. And I applied to three top tier schools and to the shock and dismay of everyone, my professors and myself included, I didn't get into any of my choices. Oh, I didn't wow. get into one. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit disappointing. I wrote a lot of bad poetry in that time. It was like very devastating. <laughs> But um, Sorry, sorry that must have been, yeah, a tough experience not getting into the school. And I'm sure you were talented yeah. and everything. So that must have been really hard. You know, it was. And I should have, like, in retrospect, like, whatever. Like, I can tell you all the things in retrospect. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, for someone who never really experienced any, like, rejection or disappointment, it was like, you know, it hits hard when it hits the first time. Yeah. So um, one of my professors saw that I was, like, spiraling. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, does it look like I'm okay? You know, like... And he said, it's hard, but right now you have an actual, an opportunity. You can, you know, if you want to, you can regroup and apply to different schools next year and, you know, continue on this trajectory. Or you can ask yourself, is this really what you want to do with your life? And so like, it was good. It was great advice, but I had never had a plan B. Like I didn't have plan B. I had never thought about plan B. So I, I didn't even know. So I went from like, oh, I'll just be a musician to like, I don't know what I'm going to be. And I ended up moving back home to my parents' house. They had moved to St. Louis, Missouri at this point. They moved when I was a freshman in college. And so I moved back to this house that I had not grown up in, in a city that I was unfamiliar with, in my parents' basement in the suburbs. All my friends are going off to graduate school. And I was like in the suburbs of my parents' basement. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is not fun. So I like, I, you know, I moped around for like the summer. And then I, and my dad kept like putting like classified ads, like on my, in my, like on my dresser, like, here's a job you might apply for. Like maybe this one. <laughs> he was like kind of trying to get me to be a little bit more, you know, productive here. And eventually I was like, yeah, I do need to do something. And so I, I, I ended up getting a job in a law firm and I, I was like, okay, well, let me just see what this is like. And I acclimated to this new environment and after, and I got, and I got promoted fairly quickly because it was like, and you know, whatever, I, I threw myself in and I, I did, I did good work. Um, but after a few months, I noticed there was like this repetitiveness to it where, um, you know, I would go in on Monday and everyone would talk about what they did over the weekend and they would complain about their bosses and they would complain about being at work and eventually they would get around to doing some work. And then like Thursday, they would start talking about like what they're going to do over the weekend. And then the weekend would come and they would do whatever weekend plans. And then Monday would come, they would complain about it Monday, talk about what they did, gossip about their coworkers, eventually do some work. And it like went on like this. And I was like, wait, after a few months, I, I, I just said to myself, is this, a, is this adulthood? Like, this is it? This is like what we've been like rushing towards our entire life. Like it was just so anticlimactic, you know? Yeah. And I, I I was like, I had like a little existential crisis, you know? Yeah. Like, what? All right. So that's the stage is set. Now at this point, this is when Hashem started sending me like absolutely crazy Hishkacha practice. Like this is like divine intervention that is just unexplainable. People started asking me if I was Jewish. They started bageling me basically. Like <laughs> how do you bagel a Protestant, you know? But, um, so I was outside my office building and there was this guy who, um, who like worked in the same building, but different company. And we would be outside sometimes on break at the same time we would schmooze. And then one day he was like, so what temple do you go to? And I was like, I, I don't really, no, I'm not Jewish. And he was like, oh, and then it was like awkward, you know, <laughs> but 
And another time I was at a party at WashU's campus, which has a very high student, um, Jewish student body. And I was just using the girl and she was like, so a member of the tribe. And I was like, no, no, not, not me. And then I was at a coffee shop and I was like wearing like a skirt and a cardigan and like Birkenstocks and uh, my hair is naturally like wavy. And I was sitting there like having coffee and a guy came up to me and he was like, are you secular or religious? And I was like, didn't even understand what he was asking. Was like, what is a strange question? And I was like, mm. and he said, you should go to age.com. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I was at a hip hop concert. Someone asked me if I was Jewish. And then this is the one that takes the cake. I was at a bar. And a German exchange student came up to me and apologized for the Holocaust. Oh my gosh. It was like a little inebriated, you know? And I was like, it's okay. And he was like, it's not okay. And I was like, I mean, you're right. It's not okay. But you know, I'm not, I'm not the right person to apologize to. So oh my crazy. gosh. Right. So this is like, fine. And then as, as if all this wasn't enough, like it, I was having lunch with my mom and I told her, mom, like it's so weird. People keep asking me if I'm Jewish. It's so weird. And she said, oh, yeah, that happened to my mom all the time, too. And I was like, excuse me, mom? Like, what is, what is this? This is new information. And, yeah, she said that her mother was a hairstylist in, in Milwaukee. She had a lot of Jewish clients. And they were always like, Irene, you look so Jewish. Are you sure you're not Jewish? So, so I ended up finding um, some genealogy in my parents' basement because my mom, like, saved everything, every project I had ever done in school. I had a lot of boxes to go through. So I went through this box and I found some, like, genealogy project I had done in eighth grade and like I had to like track hair and eye color whatever through family and there was some family member who was really into ancestry and sent me this whole sheet of ancestors who had come over from Europe in the 1800s from Prussia which doesn't even exist anymore it's actually Poland now this region and the name of the family that came over in like 1843 was Kramer and there were Millers and there were Newmans and I was like what if we are Jewish so that's how I got interested because I thought like, well, maybe we are Jewish. And then I remembered that guy had told me to go to H.com. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll go to H.com. Like, what does it mean to be Jewish? Like I knew Seinfeld. I knew the Beastie Boys. I knew all the cultural Jewish things. You know, even growing up in Iowa, I did know Jewish people. And um, and like, but I was like, but what does it really mean? You know, Americans are so interested in where they come from. So this was just like another like, you know, whatever. So I went to H.com and like my mind was totally blown totally blown I thought religion is just like whatever it's some like thing you do like once a week like whatever it's like you know obita the masses you know whatever you know like construct you know man-made construct whatever nonsense I had like thought about it and here I, I saw like all this like very detailed like instructions about how to interact with everyone around you like societal instructions like the concept of being out on the chavero was nothing that I had ever really experienced that the, the rules that govern the way that we interact with other people, like they matter and not just that they matter. It's not just like this vague, like be a good person, do unto others as the way you would like them to do unto you, follow the golden rule. It was like, no, this is how you do it. You don't gossip, you don't slander, you give people the benefit of the doubt. If you see your friend and your enemy unloading a donkey at the same time, you help your enemy first because you're not allowed to hold the grudge. Like, I was like, this is, this is incredible. Like, is there actually a society where people are actually living according to these precepts? Like, I want to live there. That's where I want to live. Wow. So I was just like reading like article after article after article. I also read a lot of dating advice because like I didn't know how to date and it was like very, <laughs> it was in the wild west out there. And I was like, this dating advice is amazing. It's way better than what I'm reading in Cosmo magazine, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so like... But then at a certain point, so I started like going to like a, like a reform synagogue, like, you know, and 
but like hiding in the back. So I didn't know how to explain to people like, oh, well, I'm not Jewish, but maybe I might be Jewish, but like, I don't know. Like it was very confusing what was going on, you know? Um, and I felt like very like flaky a little bit. Like, so I felt like embarrassed a little bit. Like I wasn't sure what I was doing. And at a certain point, like I realized um, that any of those relatives, any of those Jewish sounding names, they had all been very nice Lutherans. They were all buried in Lutheran cemeteries in like Minnesota. And if anyone had ever been Jewish, it was in like their Heim. It was so far back that it halakhically didn't make a difference. So then I was like a little stuck. I was like, okay, but Judaism is really, really cool, but it's for Jewish people. And I'm not actually a Jewish person, even though everyone thinks I am, you know, like, so then I was like, but that means I'm going to have to actually like convert, which that's weird. Like who does that? Like none of my friends are like, I'm just going to convert to a religion now. Like that was like not like, I didn't know anyone who had ever just converted to a new religion because they liked the religion. So like, that was like a whole mindset shift, but I, I just, I found the idea of living according to the Torah and living in a community where people were doing the same thing, tremendously compelling, you know, like the, it was like, so clearly not like a man-made religion to me. I was like, this is clearly like more than that. Cause like no human being could come up with such like a intricate and well-constructed like system. Do you know what I mean? It's too, it's too good. <laughs> it's too good. And the, the rules are so intricate to follow. They're so detailed. And so much discussion over thousands of years. I was yeah. like, and just the, long, the longevity of the Jewish people. So, so I, I underwent, so I, um, so I decided that I would explore all the, like, I would see like, I would see like where to convert, you know, I knew that there were different types of Judaism. So I was like, okay, so I started by the reform. And that didn't quite do it for me. Like I didn't, everyone was super nice, and very welcoming and very lovely, but I didn't see like the, what I had been reading about online, I didn't see it, you know, being modeled or being lived. And it was when I finally went into like the Orthodox world and I was like, oh, this is where it is. And that's when I, and I embarked on um, an Orthodox conversion. Wow. That is, wow. That's a journey. And then, I mean, that's like the journey of how, that's the start of the journey. That's a journey to begin the journey, actually. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was just all the pre-stuff. Like, right. Before you even get into being Jewish. You know? Right, right. And then like, what was the conversion process like? I mean, I know you have to study, you have to meet with a rabbi, you really have, you really have to know what you're doing. Like when you're, when, when you go into the mikvah, when you finally become an Orthodox Jew, you really have to be able and to and be prepared to live the lifestyle afterwards. So there's a lot of studying and learning and preparation that goes on beforehand. Yeah, exactly. I did. I did. I think the first time I met with the based in, like they gave me like a whole reading list and books to buy. And um, they set me up with a chavrusa. And I basically just spent, it, it really only took me a year, which is actually very short. And I do believe it, it takes longer now. Yes. Um, But I really, I've always also been like a, a real overachiever <laughs> so like I really you know threw myself into it and I went to like every class I possibly could you know at the Kolo at Aish at the Shul you know and I had Chavrusas and I kept reading online and I you know I, I was working at a different law firm now and I went to the Aish tape library and I picked out like every tape I could and I would just go like the, the work was not very like intellectually stimulating that I was doing so like I could really multitask so I listened to Shirem for like eight hours while I was like doing data entry for these like, you know, legal forms. So like, I really just threw myself in and tried to also learn like the social nuances, which that's a whole, that, that is a whole thing in and of itself. And there's no like book or like H.com article to tell you like when to switch over from clear tights to black tights. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> all these little nuances of being from, but, um, no, I really threw myself in and, um, you know, there, it was a real paradigm shift, you know, really completely overhauling the way that you look at the world, 
you know, learning a new language. Languages have always been, Baruch Hashem, like easy for me. Like Hashem did a major favor for me there. So that wasn't so bad. And I've always been like nerdy enough that like, I love learning. Like I love all this stuff. Like I love school. So like that part was easy for me. Yeah. But just kind of like learning how to rethink about things and learning how to sift through, you know, what thought processes and what belief systems and whatever from quote unquote before are actually kosher and which ones do need to be, um, you know, gotten rid of. And this is something that I think is very common for anyone who goes through a hashkafic shift is that it's very common to like throw everything out. Everything is bad. You know, I, I got so really so many cute shirts that I didn't realize you could just put a shell under them. So many cute shirts. Right. It's true. Like things like this. I was like, oh, but it's, it's sleeveless. So it's gone, you know, or whatever. So like just all of these little growing pains of trying to figure out you know what what is actually still okay and what is not because not everything is bad some things like have a macor anyways in torah and judaism you just don't know it you know and um so that that was a process that took probably i would say like six or seven years really long after converting to you know when you're actually living as a jew and like living in a community and you have kids and you have a husband and and it's um you have to really figure out how to actually be, you know, more than just learning it and absorbing that, all that information, like then you have to actually put it into practice. Exactly. You know, which is a completely different ball of wax. Completely, completely different. Well, that's also one that, what I want to ask you because, you know, you did what you felt was the right thing to do and you pursued your own personal path in life. First of all, I want to recognize that this is incredibly powerful because really at a relatively young age, you realize who you wanted to be and the type of life that you wanted to have and you follow that path, you know, which I think is incredible, incredibly amazing. So I want to see like afterwards, after you got like everything kind of figured out, how did your life change after you converted? You know, how did you adjust to living a fully Jewish life? And most importantly, how did you feel on the inside, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Did you feel different after you, you know, officially became Jewish? Like, what was it like for you? Such a good question. Um, I don't know if I like really like felt, felt different, you know, because I had been effectively living like a from life as much as I could until that point. So like, I don't know if like the actual point of Nikola was like, so different, but it was, um, it was nice to know that everything I was doing counted at this point, you know, I was like, Ooh, now this bracha counts. But then it also got a little bit, like, I got a little bit, like, it was a little nerve wracking also, cause then it counts. Then you don't want to mess up. <laughs> you're like, was that really a kazayas that I just ate? Do I really need to make it after bracha? You're like, Oh, I want to carry around like a food skill with me all the time just to know if it's kazayas. But, um, <laughs> you know, so like the kind of like that pressure and that responsibility definitely was something to kind of, um, you know, also I'm a perfectionistic type. So that I think that's probably where like that pressure then came from, you know, like whatever personality type we're given, that's kind of how it manifests also in our observance. Yeah. Um, I would say that like, how did it really change? It was just a process of kind of, you know, I had always been a very confident kind of person. Like a lot, my parents did a great job instilling like a lot of like positive, like, you know, self-esteem in me, which is fantastic. Maybe a little bit too much, but that's okay. I think it's, it's a worthwhile uh, error, you know? But um, then just to really go into just not knowing what to do all the time was like a little bit, it was humbling and also a little like disorienting, you know, like I, I knew how to, you know, I knew what bracha to make on things. I knew how to say Shimon Esrei. I knew how to, you know, I know what I was supposed to address more or less, you know, um, I knew like the rules, but then like all these nuances of like, well, what do you do at a board? How long do you stay at a board? Like, you know, what about a kiddush, you know, like, how do you, how do you say Shema with your kids? at night like I never knew that there was like a, a little tune like a little trope of how you like you kind of chant shema you know like that when my kids started coming home after they got to a certain like age then like they would say like you know they have to like you know they 
would have a certain way of saying it. I was like, oh, there's like a way to say it. You don't just like say it. Like there's a like a like a rhythm to it. Like I didn't know. Like how would I know? Right. You know, I don't know. So like all these little like constant realizations that I'm probably doing things wrong <laughs> like all the time. Well, you're learning. And people, are, and people are very kind. I know, but I always like hated being like, I always hated being like a tourist. I always wanted to just be like, you know, like I always was a person who like, I didn't want to go on tours. I want to just kind of like blend in with the scenery and have like an authentic experience. And so now I was always just kind of a little bit of fish out of water. And it was like, it, you know, it's a humbling experience and sometimes embarrassing and just kind of like had to keep my mind on like the ultimate goal of like, ultimately I want to be comfortable in my skin, you know? Right. And, um, and learning like how much, you know, how, like, I don't mind coming on to you and telling you like, you know, my, my story and my journey and everything, but like, I didn't want to have to say it at like every single shop meal I ever went to, you know? So I had to also figure out how to answer questions. Where are you from? Like if I said Des Moines, that led to a conversation. If I said St. Louis, that did not lead to a conversation. That's so I had true. to kind of like <laughs> figure out like these nuances of like, you know, and also like, I, you know, when you first become from like, you do want to tell everyone because it's exciting and it's like literally happening to you right now. It's like, whoa. And then to kind of figure out like when to kind of tone it down, you know, and to just kind of be part of the wallpaper, you know, because like ultimately I did kind of want to be part of the wallpaper because I wanted my kids to just be quote unquote regular. And I didn't want them to be, you know, like in the spotlight in a way that maybe they wouldn't appreciate. So it was just like this process of figuring out like what parts of my past I was comfortable sharing with people and what like maybe not so much. You know, I was a very regular college kid. So, you know, use your imagination. I had lots of regular college kid experiences, you know, and not, <laughs> not all of that is like fit for consumption, you know? That's true. <laughs> and like learning about like the concept of SNES, like not just in dress, but like in speech and learning so many things, um, so many like all these nuances. So that for me was like really the biggest thing was like really not just like the the book smarts of how to be Jewish, but like just like that internalization of like, what does it mean to really like feel Jewish? What does it mean to like feel Busha? What does it mean to feel, you know, like pride in being Jewish? Like, what does it mean to feel? And to, and this is maybe something, I don't know if Bali Chuba also feel this way, but maybe also other Garam feel this way of just like kind of feeling like you're play acting, like you're like pretending a little bit. It's like the ultimate cultural appropriation. Like, you know what I mean? It's yes. like, you know, and like every time I would use like a Yiddish word or a yeshivish word, I would, I would be like, are people thinking it's weird that I'm using it? Cause I didn't grow up this way. Like now I don't care. Now I'm wrong, you know, but like, you know, I, I had, a, I would call I would call my kids like Zeskite because I just thought it was a very sweet thing to say. I'm not going to call them pumpkin, like it's, which is also cute. And if you call your kids pumpkin, that's totally fine too. Like, you know, but like we live in a yeshivish community and I, you know, whatever. I just, I like being part of the scenery. So I, I want to, I, there was a, a friend of mine who was like, you always call your kids Zeskite. I was like, yeah, why shouldn't I? Is there like a ban like I'm allowed <laughs> to? Like there's words I'm allowed to use and not allowed to use? Like because my background? I don't think so. But um, it definitely did take a while before it didn't feel like I was like putting on a costume, you know, I would say it took about seven years before I felt like, no, this is really who I am now. I'm like really integrated externally and internally and comfortable in my own skin. And I feel like that's when I really was able to start being confident and contributing to the Jewish community in a way that I felt was meaningful and as opposed to just trying to like find my feet and find my footing, you know. Right. And I, I love that you said that, like it wasn't instant. Instantaneously, you were part of the wallpaper. It did. It took t seven years 
it's time. It's time yeah. for you to put what you learned on paper into play, into real life, and to, to, to live it, to live your Jewish life fully. And that takes time to really integrate that, you know, to be part of society, to interact with people. And like you said, to call your kids Ziskite. Ziskite is like, like sweetie, you know? Yeah. But it's yeah. a Yiddish version of a sweetie. And it's so beautiful. And now it just comes automatically to you. I'm sure you just call them Ziskite and you don't have to think about it, you know? Exactly, exactly. It's like that. There's no thought. There's like no, there's no pause. There's no like, there's no cognitive dissonance anymore, you know? But for right, a while it was. Right now, now, now you're one with the religion. You really, you, you blended in and you're one. You're just, a, you're part of the tribe now. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> but now I have to ask the, the million dollar question here. How did your family react when they realized that you weren't actually kidding and that you were really, really right. converting to Judaism? Because they, they still weren't Jewish. You had converted, but they were still Protestant. So right. here is, you know, for your parents, here's their daughter, for your siblings, here's, you know, the, the sister, like converting to a different religion, really, honestly, to a different lifestyle. Because you weren't just converting religions, you were really converting lifestyles. You were really, really changing. So how did your family react to all this? Yeah, that, I mean, that is a question I get I get a lot. And I'm, I'm very fortunate because my family is actually incredibly open and supportive, which is fantastic. At first, they 100% thought it was a phase. Like, oh, listen, look, I had just yes. gotten rejected from graduate school and I was a little bit, you know, unmoored and, you know, oh, okay, this is what she's doing now. Fine, I'm sure she'll sort it out. Um, and then, like, after, then I went and started computing and I moved into the community. They're like, okay. So my mom, like, started coming to age classes with me. She wanted to see what it was all about. She would come to, like, Shabbos meals. Wow. It was, like, really, really cute. There was a family who I... um I rented, like, they had, like, a basement room that I rented from them. And so she would come to them for, like, a Shabbos meal or whatever. Sometimes my dad would come, too. Um, and the, the Jewish community made a, a tremendous, like, Kiddush Hashem. Like, really, the St. Louis community is very special. And, like, it really made an extremely positive impression on them. And everyone was very welcoming and, you know, very warm to them. And they, and they to themselves, like, they really also were open to it. And I think that my mom has said, you know, many times before that compared to like what I went through in college, like here, even though, yes, this was Judaism and not Christianity. And that comes with, you know, complications, but like it was, she's like, but you were like living like a God centered life. And I was much more stable, so to speak, you know, than when I had been in college and they saw it ultimately, even though it was definitely out of left field and definitely nothing anyone ever anticipated, it was ultimately a much more positive shift for me. So, and they loved like the family centered values and the concept of Shabbos and the wholesomeness of the community and the way the community looks out for each other and like really supports each other. They say always, it's like a throwback, like people, it's not like that anymore in, in many places and in most places in America, but you have like a community that really supports you. That's what they say, you know, so they don't have to worry about me. They know I'm going to be taken care of, like, you know, hundred percent. So my, my younger brother took it much longer because it was just very weird to have your older sister, I think, convert to a different religion. So you know, he was a little bit more like, hmm. but now he's, you know, he just texted me the first night of Hanukkah, you know, happy Hanukkah. And um, it's very sweet. So um, in, in general, like, I think after I, they, they knew it wasn't a phase, but I don't know if they like really realized how much of an out of a phase it was. But after I converted, I went to Israel for a year and I studied at Nevei Yerushalayim, Baruch Hashem, tremendous experience. And I came home and I came home ostensibly for the summer I was going to go back and do like Shana Bet do the Shall Have It program and then I was like you know going to live in Israel for the rest of my life that was my plan but then I got introduced to my husband and I got married and here I am still in Chutzlaretz um Baruch Hashem this is where we're meant to be now but um then like then when I was married and he's a great guy so that also major points um like they really like him a lot and then you know we started having kids and so then they're like this is really like different you know 
but we really do like make it work as much as possible, you know, and like, I, I think that because we already had like a healthy, positive relationship going into it. So then it was really able to weather the bumps of, you know, when I went through my, they call it the flaming ball chula phase where like everything is like very black and white and everything is like on fire all the time, you know, and they, yeah. they really put up with a lot of nonsense for me and like they deserve all the credit for that. And then I finally toned down and was a little bit less like dramatic. <laughs> and we really found like a lot of ways to have a really good relationship you know, in a way that is still within the framework of what I am allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do. And my kids have Baruch Hashem, a close relationship with them. They were just here for Thanksgiving. We have them Beautiful. every Thanksgiving. They come to us because that's the one holiday that we can kind of do in common. So they come to me. I make all I make all the traditional foods. I think there's one year my brother came too. It was like a whole, it's a whole thing, you know? It's really beautiful and really special. Like, I just really want to commend you on that because not everybody has that. You know, you're yeah. very, very lucky. So I just really. Yes. I am. I am very, very fortunate. Yes. I know a lot of people who do not have this kind of support. And I, I was um, I was talking to a few of my friends who are Bali Chuba because I was like, this is my experience. And like my parents, even though it's maybe a little weird for them, it's not like, per it's not like they don't feel like personally. Offended. Like, Right. Because it's not like I'm reject. It was, I mean, I guess ultimately like a rejection kind of, but like at the same time, it's not like, oh, I'm doing Judaism quote unquote better than you or whatever people, whatever emotional, you know, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real thing, you know, it's a real thing to feel like, oh, this wasn't what we did is not enough. Like, you right. know, and right. so I, I spoke to a couple of my friends who are Bali Chula who have good relationships with their parents. And, and they said, yeah, it's really like a lot of, I think ultimately it comes down to if both parties really want to make the relationship work, then they can really find ways to make it work and just have that open communication and not to avoid just to tackle those hard conversations head on. Like, what are you going to do about food? Like, what are we going to do about food? What are we going to do about, you know, when you come for Shabbos? Like, how are we going to do it? Because as one of my friends said, she's like, you know, we chose to become from, but my parents didn't. So like, we're not going to expect them to behave like us when they come to our house, but there can also be boundaries. Like, maybe don't use your phone around the kids. Like, if you want to use it in the guest room, like, isn't the hate, but like, maybe just not in front of the kids. And every family can kind of work out based on, whatever their relationship is and their, you know, ability to communicate with each other. Usually when you both, when both parties want to make the relationship work and when the relationship itself is like the primary focus, right. then people are able to compromise and to find ways to make it work within like the parameters of Palacha, you know? That's the key. That's totally key. Um, yeah. So we have time for one last question, but I think it's an important one, yeah. you know, because there's several people listening right now who either converted to Judaism like you or became a Balchuva. In other words, they were born Jewish, but they did not grow up religious and eventually decided to become observant, like we were just talking about. Yeah. You know, some people, like we said, received a lot of love and support from their families during their journey to living a fully Jewish life. And however, not everyone was that lucky. So for some people, their families were opposed to them converting, or in the case of Bali Chuva, they were opposed to them taking on more mitzvot and becoming more observant. So sometimes when you lead a life other than the one you were brought up to lead, it causes a lot of friction and fighting within families. Yeah. So so for those families that maybe don't have that relationship that we were just talking about, what advice can you give to people who are either converting to Judaism or those who have decided who, who are Jewish and decided to become more observant? Um, than their family members in order for them to maintain a good relationship with their non-observant or non-Jewish family members if they didn't already have that core relationship going before they decided to take on a, an observant lifestyle? Yeah, that's a great question. And like, and for anyone who's in that situation, like my heart goes out to you, it's really not easy. And I, I also want to preface it that like there's plenty of FFB families where everyone in the family are born Orthodox and are Orthodox and they also have hard, complicated relationships and they also don't have good relationships. 100%. So like, I feel like relationships um, are complicated in general. Yeah. 
And I think that if relationship is already not super healthy to go with, it's probably going to continue to be not super healthy, but we have Torah and we have the idea of Kibbut Ab Aim and we have Rabbanim and Rebetzins and mentors that you can go and you can say, this is my current situation. My family is very antagonistic. I want to still be respectful and I want to still, you know, keep the door open for a relationship. But in this current situation with these challenges, what do you recommend I do? What does the Torah say that I should do? How can I honor my parents who brought me into this world and raised me, even if they were had their challenges, their own personal challenges. And, you know, we all, you know, we all hope that our kids, when they grow up, look at the things we did right as opposed to the things that we did wrong. But some relationships are objectively very challenging and have negative aspects to them. So a person who has Torah in their life can then say, how can I give kavod and uh, respect um, to my parents for what they have done for me, but also still maintain like a healthy emotional situation for my family. If someone's very toxic or someone's very negative, how much can I let them in my life um, in a respectful way, but still to not make myself get dragged down into the negativity, you know? And I think that having the Torah as a guidepost and also having people who are, you know, trained in these areas and who are experts to be able to get guidance and to get clarity is a tremendous gift and it should be utilized as much as possible. And to also just have realistic expectations that like, you know, a difficult relationship may always be difficult, but that doesn't mean that you can't make the best of whatever it is you have. And to accept that it may never be like the fantasy dream relationship that you want or that you imagine your neighbor has and your neighbor's relationship is probably not as good as you think it is either. So don't worry about it. Just remember that everyone has their own stuff. And what we see from the outside is not necessarily, you know, whatever we project onto it. And the, the Torah gives us the tools to be able to make peace with complicated situations and to the tools of Betachlan and Amuna and just like learning and delving into the wisdom of, this, you know, thousands of years of psychological understanding and insight that is found also in the Torah are all tools that can be used to help take the edge off of a, a painful situation because it's painful when you don't get along with your family. There's no getting around that. That's just painful. But the Torah has the tools to help us deal with that pain. I really love that. I think that's really just spot on because like when we're looking for answers, that's where we should look for them. We should look for them in the Torah. And if we don't know them ourselves, we're not educated. We didn't have the background to know that ourselves. We can always go, like you said, to our rabbi, to our rabbi, to a mentor who knows more than us, who can guide us through the lens of Torah to help us navigate these relationships and these difficult situations in our, in our lives. I think that's really, really spot on. So thank you for that. Really, really good advice. Thanks. You know, I, I need to remember to take it myself sometimes because it's very easy to forget to take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Rivki, for joining us on America's Top Robinsons. And in the merit of this class, may Hashem watch over all the Jewish people and give enormous strength to the IDF soldiers, including Ben Ben Nirit, Ben Ben Zahava, Ben Ben Zion Ben Mazal, and also Ben Yahu Ben Ethel. Thank you so much again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.